Hello, legends, and welcome back to the show. Catching Up With Cup is your podcast for entrepreneurs and business owners, ensuring that you have the knowledge and the entertainment needed to kick ass in today's business world. Today, we're catching up with Cub member Lior Stein, the co-MD of Rimon Advisory. Rimon Advisory is one of Australia's leading R&D grant specialists and advisory firms, having raised um, over $200 million dollars uh, for their clients in R&D uh, grants from the government. Lior himself is seen as one of our country's experts in doing so and on this topic. Um, Lior is a chartered accountant. He was born in, in Israel, uh, grew up in, in Africa and migrated to Australia. Two years after he migrated, he started Rumon Advisory, a great entrepreneurial story. Um, and this conversation went far deeper than just R&D. This conversation went through everything from religion, Africa, uh, community, storytelling. We spoke about Gladiator and, and Cinderella and all sorts of incredible things. We actually didn't speak about Cinderella, so minus that. But we spoke about a bunch of other awesome things. And of course, we learned everything we needed to know about R&D grants. So I hope you enjoy the podcast and I'll see you soon. Hello, Leo. Welcome to the show, my man. How are you doing today? I'm great, Dan. And how are you? I'm very good. Very excited to have you here. Already the conversation we're having just before we started the recording got me, got me pretty excited, so I'm excited <laughs> to jump into it. But um, obviously the purpose of today in this conversation is is really to, to give our listeners access uh, to your mind, to your philosophies, to your way you view the world, to your lessons, to your knowledge. Um, uh, because you're a very, very, very interesting guy. You, you mentioned you were born. I can only hope, Dan. <laughs> no, you were born in Israel. You grew up in South Africa. You um, migrated to Sydney, yes, Australia. Um, about nine years ago. In 2010, was it? 2010. And then you started Rimon Advisory in uh, 2012. Yeah. Really? And why don't you tell us a bit more about Rimon? What, what is the name anyway? So Rimon is actually a Hebrew word. Mm-hmm. And it means pomegranate. Um, when we were trying to think of a name, it's actually my co-MD Gary that thought of the name, but we were trying to think of a name and we thought what's going to mean something to us from a commercial point of view and from a personal point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, the three directors of the business are religious Jews. We yeah. wanted to find something that spoke to us in that manner. And the pomegranate, the first thing, so as a, as a commercial business outlook, basically we see our clients as the seeds that are wanting to flourish, where are the outer shell, and then the pomegranate ends in a crown. Mm -hmm. The cup guys know all about crowns. Your lion has a crown on it. Yes. So it's that same theory is that we want to flourish into royalty together. We want to succeed together, and that's what the pomegranate to us means commercially. Uh, From a religious point of view, we're told that there are 613 seeds in a pomegranate, and those represent all the many good deeds that a person has available to them. And we wanted to come to work every day knowing that we are doing this, yes, the commercial outlook, but we want to do good things, help people move forward, and we really keep that at heart. I love that. And, yeah. and also, uh, in a much more simple way, I think it's kind of like the Hebrew Apple. <laughs> 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 it's Apple Computers, uh, Rimon Advisory. I'll take it. Maybe I've got to take a bath out of it. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and tell us more. So, so uh, Rimon Advisory, um, it, you specialize in R&D grants. 
Yeah, we're specialists in the R&D tax incentive and the export market development grant. But at the moment, the R&D is a very hot topic. And what is it? What is the R&D? What's the, what, what's the government doing? Essentially, bare bones of it, the government is allowing you to get money via for innovation via using your tax losses. So you would, a company has tax losses, it would hold them until one day it's in a profit. Mm -hmm. The government's saying, you don't have to wait till that one day. We're going to give you that cash today. You're going to be able to unlock that cash today. That's the one end. On the other hand, if you're in a profit, you're going to pay a lot less tax if you're doing innovation. So you're saving cash either by unlocking your losses today or by paying less tax today. And so the government actually, it, it pays you to innovate is really what's happening. And you, it pays you to, to, yeah, to innovate. And you guys help companies get that money. You're, yeah. you're experts in that, in fact. Yeah, look, it's a very complicated piece of the Tax Act. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why there's a lot of news, front page news about it. I mean, if you go look now, you see people petitioning the government about it right now, pay more to tech startups. You see it all over the show. Mm -hmm. The R&D tax incentive is something that is all over the world. Canada have one, the UK have one, they have big ones. Mm -hmm. um, Does the US? The US, I actually just saw an article the other day that they're considering opening one again, which means they had one, they closed it, and the US currently no, um, but they might reopen it. Good, so Australia is good to have have such yeah, a Yeah, Australia is um, seriously up there in the world. And Israel, Israel is one of the best, um, I guess, business and startup and innovation and technology incubator countries mm. in the world. Do they, do they follow a kind of similar model or do they, they have a better model? They have many incentives. They yeah. don't per se have an R&D tax incentive. They have many incentives. I mean, the truth is in Israel, it's been in, in the blood to, to innovation. When the Jews first moved to Israel thousands of years ago, it wasn't like fertile land. Mm. They innovated the land agriculturally to make it what it is today. And now Israel today, its main export is intellectual property. Uh, the government support it from every which angle you can think of, um, but they don't per se have an R&D tax incentive. So like Australia, what's Australia's major export, mining and things like that? Mining and I think food. They Israel's that. major export is brain power. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that is what it is, yeah. Um, and well, look, I want to get more into the R&D stuff and all that type of thing, but but I want to know a bit more about you first and kind of learn the lessons of, of your life. Why don't you give us a bit of the story of – I guess, um, how you started in Israel and the, the many lessons of Israel and, and right through to, to where we are. I feel like I'm on a date, Dan. <laughs> you look very lovely You today. kind of are. I'm in a suit. <laughs> you definitely, you're scoring the points for me. I'll give it to you. I, I'll tell you a bit about me. You know, when I was coming here today, I thought it's a podcast that I'm going to ask a bit about me, so I'm going to try to go a bit of a different angle for a moment. Mm -hmm. So I thought of something a bit different in the world is made up of four base elements. Yeah, so water, air, fire, and earth. And those things represent character traits, right? You could be an air person or water, but these things, it's not specific to the Jewish religion. It's all over. We've all heard of it. I would designate myself as a fire person from the point of view of like passion is made up inside me. It goes into everything that I do. If, it, if you talk about my family life, my work life, whatever it is, I would say passion is very much part of me. I mean, I used to I used to go for salsa salsa classes. Did dancing. You? I loved it. My like, mum's from Mexico, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. No, family. So I actually have Spanish heritage before. Really? My yeah, it's, it's definitely in me. And I said to my wife, I mean, we got small, four small kids, eight, six, 
um, two and a half and five months at the moment. So I have no time to go salsa dancing. But <laughs> said to my wife, as soon as we can do this, we are going. It's just a lot of fun. But that, so I put myself in the in the fire bucket. I'd love to hear just now what you would put yourself in. But I am a, as you said, my, my background of countries where I come from, but I'm a husband of one. I'm very glad about that. Mm-hmm. A father of four, as mm-hmm. I said. I'm a religious Jew, very important to me. And I'm a human being of the world. You know, mm-hmm. we all, especially right now, it's going on. We all want to do well for the whole world because if the whole world does well, we all get out of this. As a leader uh, in our community, as, as a business owner and as a leader in the community, it's it's people like like you and and uh, like the many listeners who who may be leaders of their families, of their businesses, whatever they are. It starts there. If the leader is showing confidence and positivity and, and he's seeing opportunity. That, that spreads to the others. I always say every business is um, is a family and it's a family made up of all the families that are relying on that business to operate. And if the leaders, a leader or leaders of that business are promoting the correct culture, that culture is going to trickle down through the, the team and go into the families and then move into the friends and extended families. And business is an incredible force and vehicle for, for culture, for a positive culture. Mm-hmm. And it all starts at the top. Um, as far as the fire, earth, water, what were they? Fire, earth, water, and air. And air. I I would say uh, first of all, I'd say I'm bonfire. <laughs> so, I would have so, said that too. Yeah, I'm wearing a red suit. Right? I'm just gonna jump in here. I just want to let everyone know that I walked in here today, and it was like we were best friends. And then five minutes later, I realized, Dan, we've only conversed over technology <laughs> for like the past few months. We didn't even realize it. But we had deep conversations over yeah. technology, and we're both cub members, which is um, which is. It gives you um, that common. You just already trust each other. You already feel that sense of belonging. That's what I was trying to get to. I just want to say, like, on behalf of the Cub team, I didn't even realize we were just immediately hit it off, and we hadn't met in person before. So, yeah. kudos to you guys. Thank you. No, that, I think that's culture. And and it, speaking of Cub, have you enjoyed your membership thus far? It's been a a lovely experience for me. Mm. I always thought like this, the the networking side of business, which is crucial, it's kind of somewhat contrived. You're stuck in a place. You don't know anyone. You're trying to make your chats. Mm. And Cub has taken that out. They say, come in here. We're going to get to know you. And you're going to meet other people based on us already having knowledge of you. And it's going to be very warm and smooth. Mm. And I've definitely experienced that. It I've felt like a business have. family. That's our concept. Yeah, I think so. And have you met some good people, found some clients or I made some found, friends, shared some knowledge? So my goal with Cub was I just wanted to keep on meeting quality people. Mm-hmm. I definitely have. I've also had the opportunity to give back. There's been one or two people that needed something that I had the skill set and I've had the opportunity to have one-on-one sessions and actually give back, which I think is crucial to personal development. A person needs to find areas of give back. Mm-hmm. Small or big, you don't have to be a massive, no one needs to know about it, but mm. small areas of give back. So I've, I've found that too. And I've met interesting people and we have we have landed two clients. Amazing. How long have you been a member for? Six months. Oh, yeah. I was going to say it can't be a long time because we haven't met yet. No, no. Oh, fantastic. I love hearing that. And you've been in Melbourne most of the time, so yeah, don't I'm think you didn't try me. Flying around. <laughs> you know what I love about that? We just said, cub, <laughs> this might sound weird, so let me finish the sentence before everyone judges. Um, <laughs> cub almost serves as a somewhat similar function to a religion. And let me explain what I mean by that. Please explain because that yes. sounds strange. Yes, it does. <laughs> but 
but but I see them as almost the same, right? When someone is um, a religious person, or and this could be wrong. This is just why I think religion has has why I think religion started, right? If my if my mum meets a Mexican lady, right, in Australia, she may not know that person, right? She doesn't know them at all, but she's Mexican. They start talking, oh, I'm Mexican, you're Mexican. Ah, they hit it off straight away and they connect. They've got that mutual thing in common, right? Now, let's say we're in Europe and I'm French and you're Spanish. Well, we haven't got uh, – I'm, I'm not in common to you, uh, but what can we have in common? Well, you may be the same religion as me. Oh, now we have that in common. So I actually think religion is almost like a form uh, – it's a way to bring – people together and to unite them under a, a common principles, right? And Cub does that because, because look, well, we just met and oh, straight away, well, I, already, uh, I already obviously liked you very much. Obviously I trusted you. We, we, we're very similar. We both, ha- we're both fire. <laughs> we both love business and, and it gives you that instant connection. And once you've got that common grounds and that trust, I think it's a trust, then that helps. So um, to my point, Religion can unify large bodies of people. So uh, the Jewish religion, for example, and there's Jewish people all over the world. But when you meet, uh, it could be in South Africa, could be in um, Italy. And when they meet, well, we have nothing in common, but we're Jewish and we share that religion. We have the same um, um, rituals and the same Friday, uh, Shabbat, mm. and uh, and and we can connect. It's that trust. Okay, now that we, it's it's a foundation for a relationship to happen, and I think that's what Cub is a foundation for for valuable relationships to happen. Yeah, I definitely hear that kind of bridge you've made there. I'll tell you a little story. I was I was 22, 22 years old. I was um, becoming a chartered accountant. And so you have to do four years of university, undergrad, postgrad, and then three years of schooled articles in South Africa. I was still in South Africa. It's like an internship at one of the big accounting firms. And I had four weeks free time. And um, I couldn't find anyone to travel with me in that free time. So I said, oh, I'm just going. So I went to Europe. I went to London first. I had a cousin there, stayed by him. And then I just kind of traveled on my own. And I was getting to Rome. Actually, wasn't sure what to do, and I couldn't find a place to stay. I phoned the one synagogue there, the shul, and they put me up with a Jewish family, um, a religious Jewish family, and they just said, "Just, just stay. You know, my, my kids away for a year. You can just have the stay with us, have the room, have meals with us, and come in. And he has a key, and off you go." And I never met me from a bar or so. Mm. Yeah, and and I did stay with them and kept in touch with them. It's a lovely relationship I've had, and they. It was lovely and that's the, I mean, it takes a long time to build that kind of thing, but I do think Cub is doing that. There is, if I get a call from a Cub person, I want to help them straight away. Mm. It's just a common bond. It's it's almost a reminder. Religion is almost a reminder of humanity, right? It's almost like saying, hey, we know nothing about each other, but here's something we do know about each other and here's a start. You know, here's a connection point. Here's a point where... We, we now have something in common and, and I'm, I want to do something for you to further that relationship. It's that trigger to that, to that relationship. I think that's really cool. Yeah. What, what does religion mean to you? Like what, what, why, why is, I actually asked my uh, nana this the other day, why are you religious? I said, 
Look, religion, we believe in a God rules the world. Mm-hmm. We believe this is how we're supposed to behave in the world in order to, to act out how he would like us to or she. God is not a he or she. It's just what a term that's used. How God would like us to behave in this world. One of those very important things. So the Jewish religion is broken down into two equal sections. How you behave with God how you behave between people. If you're missing either one of those sections, you're not doing what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And you've got to, some even say it's more important to God how you're behaving between the people. And you've got to behave properly be, between the people, meaning be kind, care about somebody. If the world's cracking, you know, and you have a whole bunch of things that you've just bought and someone needs, give them your toilet paper, mm. give them a cucumber, just do it. You, you know what I mean? Um, and that's, religion kind of sort of to a degree mandates how you're supposed to act. And I'm only very familiar with the Jewish religion and kindness and caring and mercy is just an underlying facet of that. Mm. Um, and But religion means to me a relationship between God and then a relationship between people. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's kind of, it, it, it's, it's saying what, what we said, it's, it's well, I I am able to have that element of trust with you now because we we share the same ideal value uh, system. Value belief. system, and and that's really beautiful. Yeah. And that I think is pretty um, across all the religions, or, or I don't know all the religions, but um, in Christianity, I, I would say that's the same. It's you taught the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's that's how you should act. And I, I think that's the the psychology and how religion is. It's become so powerful. Obviously, means something, right? There's something that humans need it, whether it be the greater, the, the example of the greater good, or I think that, that that's really important. I think humans need something to join them. That's definitely a fact. People mm. call the Premier League a religion. Yeah, you know. Yes, and it. I, I like. I don't particularly watch it very much, but I, many of my friends do, and my colleagues at work. And if you support the same team together. It creates this bond between somebody. Commonality. Yes. It unites you. But you're like passionate about it. Yes. You, you know, whichever team you support, because I don't want to mention any team because I'm going to upset everyone yeah. else. <laughs> but I feel like there is this link between you and people around the world of this team that you support. Mm-hmm. Um, and it creates a base commonality. I don't know how far it goes. I'm not a soccer supporter, but it does create a base commonality. And it can actually have also this same power that brings people together through religion can also be used as a, as a as a negative power right there can be negative powers that bring people together as well they they unite under a, a negative thought or they unite under a or they dislike other people that are not of their religion mm-hmm. i think you're talking about kind of a yin and a yang here everything there's good and mm-hmm. if you don't use the good right it becomes bad uh, this goes through history and it's hap- history is unfolding in front of us right now yes you know it's there was slavery ethnic slavery you know there's rich and poor i'm this religion you're that religion this has been going on since the beginning of time mm-hmm. and how do you think religion translate into it translates into business how does being religious positively affect your business religion definitely translates into business there's about this books this big telling mm-hmm. us how we're supposed to behave in in business mm-hmm. so business actually is a very intricate oh is there yeah what's the book <laughs> It's uh, called Choshen Mishpat. Actually, yes. it's a book of laws of how you behave in religion. And when was that created? 
I mean, Moses yeah, I'm sure, received I'm the, sure. the Torah in Mount Sinai and was kind of all in there. But the, the point is, is it, and it's continually evolving because business evolves, right? How are you supposed to, you know, if two partners are unhappy with each other, how do you break up that partnership? You can't just suddenly siphon clients to the side. You can't mm-hmm. do that. There's There's ways of breaking their partnership. There's ways of, you know, how do you remunerate people? You have to remunerate on time. It's not like a can't make it this month. I'll pay you five days late. It's not how it no. goes. You figure out how to pay those people now. So it literally directly impacts the way you operate as a business. I've made certain decisions in business that most people would say you're crazy. That have cost us a lot of money, but that's how you got to do it. Mm. Um, and that's how you do it. That's fine. I mean, well, I'll give you an example that probably most people could relate to. April is the is the R and D deadline. I mean, at the moment, it's been pushed off um, by a few months because of what's going on in the world. But the general deadline is ten months after your year end, which in this country would be April. It's our busiest month from everything, including sales. Um, the Jewish religious holiday of Passover, Pesach, is in that month, and for about five days, we cannot land new deals. Just can't. It's our busiest month. So you're talking about a ton of money and we just simply cannot land your deals because you cannot create new business during a Jewish during religious day. So we don't land deals. Now people will look at you, are you mad? It's your busiest <laughs> month. We don't land deals. Now do we believe it comes back many times in other areas? Just yes, we do. But it's very, very hard. And people contact, like I'll get a phone call. So how it works is there's two religious days in the beginning where you can't, no electricity, you know, anything like the Jewish Shabbat, and then there's a few days in the middle that are kind of half religious, half not. And on those days, I can take a phone call, but if a guy wants to do a deal, I've got to say, no, I'm sorry, can you wait till next week? But during that time, can you serve your clients? Uh, yes. So if if someone's going to lose money, so firstly, if, if anyone listening to this as Jewish, you've got to ask your own rabbi these questions. Yeah. But the, the general answer, if someone's going to lose money, then you can help them. Our clients with a deadline, a few very close to being finished, they might get nervous that the work's not going to get finished and things like that. And then we can do work for our current clients, but we cannot generate new business. And so I guess the question with religion being community, being connection, being united under one with one purpose or one greater good, how can you do that in business with your team? Or how can you create that sense of unity with your team? Or how can you create even better yet that sense of community with your clients and and have them be a community? Because community is power. We're stronger together than we are apart. That's that's just a human, it's the way we've evolved. Mm. So how do you build these these sub-communities under these great big communities like religions and nationalities? How do you build these sub-communities? Do you guys do any cultural uh, culture building? Do you have a culture building system with a team? Do you? How do you create that? How do you create a sense of community and unity with your team? Because I feel like cover we do that quite well, and and I'd love to share that too in a second. I think rule number one: money is not the end game. Mm-hmm. If your if your staff believe that money is your end game, they're never going to feel safe with you. Mm-hmm. Your staff, your partners. It doesn't have to be your staff. Like if I think that for my business partner, money is his end game, well then as soon as something better than me comes, 
just going to take it. Yeah, I've never thought about that. So I really think money is not your end game. Um, I mean, I've been that way for a long time. However, if you go want to go listen to someone very professional that speaks about it, Simon Sinek mm. is fantastic at talking about it. He, he said you got to make money. You, business, you've got to make money in business, otherwise you don't have a business. But your, your people need to believe that money is not your end game. So when you do certain things to show that money is not your end game, like – I'll give you an example. We took our team to San Francisco. We've done it twice now. We wanted them to feel what a, an established startup tech culture was like. It was on our last day. We had rented two cars and we went into San Francisco City. We parked those cars and we went just to have some fun. And we got back to one of those cars and they had smashed the window and stolen some stuff. Yeah, I've been to San Fran. There's, there's a lot of hooligans running around that place. I actually felt unsafe in San Fran. I did. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely the city there. People steal from cars. They don't mug you. But there, there's a large homeless population yeah. in San Fran. Yeah, there, there definitely is. I think um, for anyone that's been around the world, in Australia, we can appreciate that we live free lives. Safe lives. But in our homes right now, but, mm. but safe lives. So anyway, this, this stuff was stolen. Now, the guy, one of our guys that got his stuff stolen, he was getting hassles from the insurance. They just didn't want to pay for it. Okay. So we went, he, he had a set of Bose headphones, a few other things. We said, you know what, here's the cash. We didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. Like I could have said, this is not my problem. But he was hurting, it's his stuff. I know it meant a lot to him when he bought it. We said, we're just going to help you out. Here, here it is. And that, we didn't do it for this reason, but I saw in him, I was like, that just like built this loyalty. Mm. Like you guys were there for me when I needed you. And human beings reciprocate. They yeah. reciprocate. Yeah, I mean... If you treat someone well, they're probably going to treat you the same back. And even better, they would, they would reciprocate that to somebody else that's not you and spread that and spread that. And reciprocation that can come in so many ways. You, you may not even see how it's coming, but if you can build that in your team, I mean, think of your own family. If it happened to your kid, not that your team need to be like your children, they don't. It's a different relationship, but you, you're going to try to be there. Mm. And they're going to know that you're there for them. Mm. Your team needs to know that you're there for them. That's the first thing. The, the other thing I can say is you've got to respect people for who they are. You've got to try and understand who they are. Now, we're a team of 13, uh, a bit more, but I'll stick it at 13, right? It's small enough to really know who everybody is. And you've got to try and play to that. You've got to understand this is that person's strength. Let him feel good at that thing. And then again, they, your team feel like they're there for you. Mm -hmm. So. In the general business context, you got to feel like, you know, they're there for you. You know, with all this, you read all these articles about landlords and retail and, and everybody. You know, these landlords are big, massive companies with a massive balance sheet. Are you going to do something to help now or not? Like, uh, this cannot only be government's responsibility in this crisis. It's the big boy's responsibility too. And if you do that thing to help, well, you've built this level of trust. You were there for me when I needed you. You, you didn't, it wasn't just money. Crucial, crucial. And that's something interesting that you brought up because I haven't thought about that. Basically, you said money can't be all. Money can't be the purpose because if that's the purpose, if they're going to get paid somewhere more, somewhere else, they're going to move. And the second thing you said was um, that you're there for them. They know you're there for them. And and I want to elaborate on that because I fully agree. First of all, I'd never had that thought that you mentioned about the money. If money is why they're here, then they're going to leave if they have something more. But I think that a business should be seen 
as a greater good. Cub is my greater good. And I'm happy to do anything I need to do to make sure the greater good is done. And I actually think the rest of our team is like that too. They look at it at Cub as the greater good because, because it's not a business. It's, a, it's almost a vehicle for people to be served, for the team to be obviously have an income, but more so to feel a great sense of belonging, feel a great sense of purpose, to learn, to grow, to, to serve people. To Right now we're having a huge impact on our members who are all business owners who are, doesn't matter what they say, currently everyone's going through the shit. Everybody. I don't go, oh, oh, no, I'm fine. No, you're not. Well, your sales are definitely slow. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Right now money's not moving. And we had over 100 members this week connect via our digital service, which we, which we had to pivot and create. 100 business owners had the ability to talk to each other and connect and relate and to assist each other. Right? I told the team this morning because we had a Friday meeting, I said, you did that. You helped these people. They're better off now because of what you have done. And that's kind of the greater good. That's what I mean by as a company, you're serving. You're a servant. As the leader, you're a servant to the, to the, to the team and to the clients and to your company. And the company is just a metaphor that encapsulates everyone. My point was uh, I, fully, I fully agree. And, and I think that a business needs to be a vehicle to help people become who they aspire to be. So if your team's joining, it's not, oh, I'm coming here to be rich. Yeah, look, you might make a lot of cash. And that's awesome. Who doesn't like cash? Mm. Um, and I want to get back to profit because you mentioned it before. It's a topic I love talking about. Mm. But, but yeah, you might make a lot of cash. But are you going to become the person you're aspiring to be in your head? Is the person you want to be, can this business help you become that? And that's why people stay. Say, well, it's, they can see I'm becoming who I want to be. And you should be working as a leader to allow your team to do that, to know who they want to be, what they want, and what they, what they want to fight for. You have to be an enabler. An enabler, yes. I think as an SME, it becomes not even pro the business. We're pro this unit. Mm. You know, it's Community. This, yeah, we're pro this community, this unit. It, the word business... I mean, maybe it's changing and it, ha- it might be a bit of a, a detached feeling of, it does have a kind of definition of, of money. I think where someone feels like I'm growing, I'm being enabled and these people care about me. And that is the bottom line key. These people actually care about me. Um, I want to be here. Mm. And if, if, the, if a snag hits, what happens is we, you talk about it mm. and you figure it out rather than oh, I'm out. Hundred percent, mm. and and the, we had a our member, Dr. Aileen Alagado on. She's a clinical psychologist, and um, we're discussing um, what makes a leader. And she was saying a leader is the person that people feel the safest with, right? And money is an a-, a factor to safety, security. I've I've got I'm financially safe, but so is I can go. What you're saying, I can go to my to the leader, I can go to the boss and I can talk. I can say, these are my issues, can you help me? I can come to my team, I'm safer with my team, we're stronger together. Mm. And, and so it all links into being, uh, is this group of people the, the group that I'm best with? Do I feel like I am A, contributing and B, I'm receiving this? It's like any relationship, it's like a marriage, right? You said you're proud of having one wife, <laughs> right? I, I'll be proud if I manage that <laughs> one too. But, but it's like every relationship. It, you're stronger together and that's why it's a relationship. You know, each party has to give, give something that the other 
is, is stronger with or because. And it's, that's the simplest version I could think of, actually. Yeah, look, SMEs play a major role in the, econ- in the economy. It's no hidden secret. Um, so many people have jobs because of SMEs. And by nature, SMEs are smaller teams. Mm. And managing smaller teams, you know, if you've got a smaller team, you don't have the whole CV aspect. You know, you're not, if you're at whichever smaller company you want to talk about, you don't have the big brand stamped to your name. So you say, why do people stay? So you might be earning good money. You might be earning a bit less money. But because you're getting taken care of, you do see your future there. You could grow there. And also opportunities could open up in SMEs. Mm. If it's a, a growing SME doing well, mm. things could happen fast. Like mm. um, uh, we just added a new R&D software to our repertoire, right? That kicks off. That's a whole new Division. opportunity. And then who are you going to get to run that? One of your guys. Mm. We've seen that happen. Like we opened an office in Melbourne. Who, mm. One of our guys. And that should be pushed then when you're when you're because when you're recruiting, you're also selling. You're selling yourself, you're selling the company, you're selling the team, the vision. Mm. Maybe uh, SMEs need to be using that more. Hey, don't go work for the big. Why would you go work for the big guys? You know, come join the entrepreneurial journey and find the opportunities that. Well, that I think startup becoming. innovation culture has done a lot for that. Mm-hmm. People want to go work in startups. You know, I'm I'm involved with this organization called Startup Link. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bunch of students that had a good idea. They want to link students to startups. Mm-hmm. Same way if you're studying finance, it's time for you to find a job. You'll get all the finance, PwC, whatever. They do stalls and you'll go and you meet everybody. They are connecting start uh, students to startups. I love that. And then so if you go again, if you go to and, the and what's your involvement? You're doing the R and D work for the startups. I don't know, not at all. So one of our guys that works for us is like an advisor to them. Mm-hmm. And I have um They've taken some of my content and used it. I did a presentation for them on storytelling. Their guys came to hear it. I'm going to do a podcast with them. I'm just helping them. I'm giving one or two of them some mentorship. Mm-hmm. For example, I'll, get, I'll tell you. So they, they came in to chat to me and they wanted to like say, what can we do? How can we grow this thing? I said, what you guys are doing, I'm telling you, I reckon ministers would like it. You are connecting students to startups. So I gave them the link to one of the – Minister Dominello, if you ever listen to this. Yeah, he's take. actually he's actually spoken directly. He's come into Cub and spoken directly to the members before. Okay, so um, I said to the guy, I said, reach out to him. I reckon he'll listen to you. And you might even get some funding for what you're doing because he's big into startups and you're connecting students to startups. He's the Minister for, of Innovation? He was. He was, he was yeah. for a little while, I think. Yeah, he spoke he, to us when he was in Or the Minister for Small Business, I'm not sure. He's changed it now. Mm-hmm. I see him on LinkedIn all the time. But also I said to this guy, he was nervous. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying to you. You don't stop until you go and meet Minister Dominella. Mm-hmm. And when you do, then you come to me. And that skill of don't stop, you're going to learn so much from that process because that's what you got to be in, in the world. You want to get to, you be the guy to get it done so that everyone can rely on you. Don't yeah. stop yeah. until it's done. And you know, if you got a guy like that, you're going to go to him every single time to do stuff for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's what I'm doing for them. That reminds me. I was taught, I don't know if I should say the university because it might be wrong, but I was talking to the head of a, one of the biggest universities in, in Australia about uh, the entrepreneurial program. Mm. And they came to our offices and, and they were discussing with us what we could do with them and how we could, how we could be a part of the program. And, and I said to him, I said, What's what's the program? What does it include? Why is it so big? And, and they told me all this stuff. And I said, but it's very simple. I said, it's too complex. You, 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 what are you talking about? I, I confused me and I'm in business. Mm. These people aren't even in business yet. 
And I said there's three simple things you've got to do to, to be successful in business. The first is start <laughs> because fucking no one ever starts. 99% of people have a good idea but want to believe in themselves. They just don't start. If you don't start, you're not accomplishing anything anyway. So first thing is you've got to start and tell the world when you start. Make sure everyone knows because you're committed then. You can't uh, screw up because, you know, you've got more pressure to, to, do good, to do it. But also the world will start giving you what you need. People will start, oh, that's what he's doing or she's doing. Oh, yeah, I should reach out. So start. The second is don't stop because losers stop. If you start and you stop, you're screwed anyway. You're not going to be. Don't stop. However, there's an important third. And I said this to this guy. I was still, I was talking shit while I was saying this. I was just, I was sitting <laughs> you're in my head. you good at that. But it was, yeah, <laughs> it's my talent. It's, I'm surprised it took me this long to start a podcast. <laughs> but, and the third, I said, the third is very important. I said, you've got to start. You've got to never stop. But you have to continuously learn. So you have to be getting better. And the reason is because if you don't stop, but you're not getting better, well, eventually you're just going to fucking your mind's going to explode and you're going to, you're going to collapse because you're going in a straight line. You need to always be getting, improving and getting better. Continual learning. Yeah. So start, don't stop and keep learning. Measure things. Finish your day. What did I do? What, if something went wrong, okay. Um, um, for example, after that meeting, uh, I saw their faces. They looked at me like, this guy is a moron. This, I, <laughs> that's how they looked at me. They're I, wrong. They, I, thought, well, I thought about it after. I said, what did I go wrong in that meeting? And they actually came back to me like six months <laughs> later. Once. But anyway, another story. They, I thought, what did I do wrong in that meeting? And I thought, I, I simplified it too much. They can't sell that. <laughs> University, they need to sell them. They need to sell a... a um, of course, that's too mm. simple to sell that. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. It, 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 anyway, I thought I should have uh, should have attacked that differently. But should I say something I'm along yeah. the lines of people have asked me, like South Africans, why are they like sort of got a fire in their belly? Mm. Yeah, well, you got to fight off uh, lions, tigers, and bears all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know. Now that you mentioned that, I'm going to go into another story. So again, I was in New York City. I think I was 24 at the time. Oh, there's worse shit than lions, tigers, and bears in Manhattan. So I was in Fifth Avenue, Abercrombie & Fitch, right? <laughs> yeah. For everyone that's ever been there, it was a massive five-level, super cool, um, dim lights, cool music. <laughs> what a cool store. Anyway, so I'm there and I'm checking the place out. And one of the, the ladies that works there comes up to me, starts chatting to me, and here's my accent, South African. So she says to me, so, do you, like, have elephants as pets? <laughs> but dead serious. I said to her, of course we do. <laughs> and I go to university. I mean, I, I go to work on a, on a lion. I got a tame lion. Believe me, hands down. I, I don't know how I got into that. No, no, no. It, that's true. Yeah. I went to, because I grew up in Paris. Mm. I went to the American school. It was the international school. I got asked if there's kangaroos in my backyard, but I also got asked if, you, if I can ride them, if they're like <laughs> horses to school. But they were dead serious. Yeah. They were yeah, dead serious. I've had that experience. I, look, I was only 14. I look, I was like, oh, I don't know, but I hope so. That sounds sick. I hope when I go home, there's some <laughs> kangaroos. I but but the, the world looks at Australia because we're so far away. They just don't know what we are. Mm. They, and when you look at Australia online, you got um, – um, Beaches. Yeah, be, well, you got Steve Irwin jumping mm. on the crocodiles and you got uh, – now we've got the, the new guy. What's his name? He flies in the helicopter to the crocodiles and – What's his name? Um, 
Um, oh, he's getting massive. The outback wrangler. Mm. He's massive, this guy. Mm. Yeah, and they, they, Australia is the one that I have friends tell me, how do you, um, at your farm, we've got a farm down south, how do you how do you survive? How do you walk around? Mm. I said, what do you mean? I said, aren't there uh, things that can kill you at any moment? There's snakes, snakes spiders, mm. and, and you know what the, the actual answer is there are. <laughs> Shit can kill you, Danny. Mm. <laughs> but they, it just doesn't sometimes. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it really. If you think about it, well, we do have some of the most killer snakes and spiders and. I guess it comes to a point in perception, but I'll tell you the story I was going to tell. Yeah, and I do want to hear more about Africa. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you the story. People ask me, why do South Africans have this fire in their belly? They find that when South Africans move here originally, sometimes they're found to be somewhat offensive, but I'll tell you what I think it is. In South Africa, and Australians don't really understand this, there's not, people don't abide by the law so much. Mm. Like the speed limit is kind of a guideline, you know, Mm. and not that you don't get fines, but you do, but you can... You can, you can like bribe the guy. People, yeah, Australian, cool. Sorry, you can. Yeah, Australians don't actually like, it's not part of their reality. But being brought up in an atmosphere like that, you kind of are very nimble and flexible and can do what you want. You want to build a building that does something, there's no zoning for a year. You just mm. do it, right? And That would be awesome. No, but that's <laughs> how life is there. Then you, you come here, this country works amazingly. This is an amazing country. It's the best country in the world. I right? tell everybody it's seriously. That. It is unbelievable. You live a safe life. You've got opportunity. You've got a lot of things. Right? It's beautiful. But entrepreneurialism is somewhat barred. There is entrepreneurialism, especially in the tech space. I think it doesn't exist so much outside of the tech space. It's somewhat barred because of adherence to law. Now, adherence to law is, a, is part of what makes this country great, right? But you get a South African who comes here. You land here. You're not earning enough money because you're an immigrant. And you've got this thing inside you that I'm just going to find my way around. And I think that's why South Africans land up doing things because they're not afraid of being barred by red tape. They'll go around and around. So a, a rabbi of mine says an interesting thing, Rabbi Blackman is his name. He, there's this word mazel mm-hmm. or mazal in Hebrew. It means luck. Like mazel tov. Like mazel tov. Mazel tov means good luck as a simple definition. Good luck. Mm-hmm. It's actually a very nice – you're giving – a blessing to someone that they have good fortune. Good fortune is better. It's better than good luck is kind of haphazard. Good fortune, you get given good fortune, mm-hmm. right? But he breaks down like MZL in English. I'm taking the Hebrew, making English. The M in Hebrew is makom, which means place. So you got to have a bit of right place, right time, mm-hmm. right? He agrees that. Um, the Z, it means zman, so time, so place and time. But the L, he says, laso, to do. So you got to have right Time, right place, you got to, but you got to do something. If you don't do something, you're going to always miss your right time, right place. And that's what goes back to kind of what you said. You got to keep your eyes open for the right time, right place. Mm. And m- most people in life, I think, will get a right time and right place. And don't take it. And don't take it. So, for example, like, oh, I should have bought that house. It was risky, but if I would have bought it, the money I would have put down would have been worth a million dollars today. I should have done this. And there's a lot of should haves, mm. you know, regret. Um, and that's his little thing that he talks about. He takes that word of good fortune, good luck, and he says, break down good luck. There's an element of you in good luck. Mm. You've got to do it. Yeah. Um, and that's where entrepreneurialism comes in. I know you told me before this you wanted to discuss Australian entrepreneurialism, but I feel like the tech industry have mounds and mounds of you've got to do it. Mm. And sometimes when you do it, you create your right time and right place. Yeah, it's like that quote. I don't know who said it, but... Uh, the harder I work, the more lucky I yeah. get. It, it's, it's, 
if you're looking for something from the world, the world will give you things, but you need to be ready to be searching and ready to take them. So, and I think in regards to Australian entrepreneurship, we've got some of the best business people in the country, in this country. Like you said, we're so heavily regulated that if you can become successful and create a successful, very profitable business in this country, you can do it anywhere. Mm. So I think we have some of the best, best, most resilient business people. However, as a community, as a culture, as a country, we should be celebrating them more. They are not celebrated enough. And I think because the conversation around business being such a force for good for our community is, is, um, is not had enough. For, for example, right now, the, the job loss across the world, and let's talk about Australia for now, but the job loss across the country is huge mm. and it's devastating and it's sad. Mm. It's also a reminder of how crucial the survival of these businesses are. Because with no businesses, there's no jobs, right? Business leaders, business owners, entrepreneurs, they're, they're heroes. They're people who are creating things for, for our community. They're creating goods and services to, to serve the community. And by doing so, they're creating jobs and, and wages and, and giving people the ability to, to live uh, safe. But more so than that, to what you were saying, giving them communities to be a part of that can actually help them progress as human beings. Yeah, I mean, I saw a post on LinkedIn. <clears throat> Someone said, I've learned to appreciate how important my work colleagues are to me. Yeah. And I thought that's really lovely, you know, because we all, I don't that know is. why, but you go to work and there's kind of the separation of like work, this is my work and this is my life. And there does need to be a separation. Don't make work your whole life. But the people in the workplace are part of your life. Mm -hmm. And and I, yeah, I agree with all your sentiments. And SMEs, I mean, it said, the government's had all over the show. It's the backbone of business. So many people are hired by SMEs. And the truth is where Cub is busy placing itself, and I hope that this is where it gets to, is you could become the spokesperson for SMEs mm. and the link between SMEs and government. Mm. So when there's an issue, if SMEs are facing an issue, you can be the flag bearer for them. Yes. Cub, Cub very much. Our first... Our first and foremost goal is to uh, – our mission, what you, as I guess you'd call it, is to improve the entrepreneurial journey. We want to make it better because it's hard. And it's always going to be hard, but it's supposed to be hard, in fact, because if it was easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> but we want to improve it and we want to make it better. We want to do that by uniting our country's entrepreneurs and leaders. We want to ensure that every, um, every business person – Every entrepreneur has the community, the network and the relationships needed to accomplish their ambitions. And that is directly – and the reason we care so much about that is because that serves all of Australia. It makes Australia stronger. Yeah. It grows our economy. People have more taxes. There's more jobs created. There's more goods and services and innovations. There's, there's, and you see countries back their companies like, like the U.S., they idolize their entrepreneurs. They idolize the big businesses there that, that they just dominate the world with. We can do that. We've got the people. We've got the brain power. And, and that's Cub's mission. And, and I think that by being that business family, which is the concept, we are then able to be the voice for what you were saying, the voice for Australia's entrepreneurs. Yeah, I think you, you're definitely positioning yourself to do that. You've got to grow and build that relationship with government mm. a lot, which is not simple to do. Mm. Um, but we, you, we've never tried, in, but I think we're going to, we're going to, uh, I think you, you're in a place where 
you you close. You could. I mean, you've got hundreds and hundreds of members. You over over, a, th- over, over a, thousand. a thousand, and we're the fastest growing members club for entrepreneurs in the country. Okay, well, that's what I'm saying. When now. you've got that kind of mass of people behind you, you know, that's when you can go and start petitioning. But I, I'm going to do a little remix. So I'm here in Dan's place, and this thing is staring me in the face. It's mm. the gladiator helmet. Yeah, it is yeah. so super cool. Do you, to, do you want to grab it and put it on? Oh. Yeah, I'm telling you, this thing's amazing. I'm going to share with you. Or at least show show it to the people. I'll show it to the people. I have some philosophy. Uh, don't put it on. Answer. Don't put it on only because I was wearing it this morning in our Monday meeting right, and that right. wouldn't be correct social distancing. So for <laughs> any of you that at all like the Gladiator, this is like golden. This is unbelievable. Do you know, that's Gladiator is probably the great – Maximus Decimus Meridius oh. has to be one of the greatest human beings that has ever – that is ever walked the face Did you of the hear planet. that thud? This yeah. is real. Yeah, I, I wear that to Woolworths so I don't get corona. <laughs> no, I don't, it's true. I do. With the mask underneath or no, not? I, put the oh, little, I see, I you put won't the, get corona because little, everybody won't come near you. No, freaking out. They think I'm <laughs> Maximus. I wouldn't walk near Maximus. You've seen what that guy so can Let me do? tell you, I'm going to share with you, I give this talk on storytelling. Um, it started off by trying to help our tech clients who were trying to raise capital pitch better. Because mm-hmm. I'd seen so many of these things and I said, guys, you know, I get what you do. Mm-hmm. You've got to explain it. But let me take it back from you. I have this theory that everybody wants to be entertained. Mm-hmm. When you're sitting here with me today, I want to have a good time and you want to have a good time. And if we're not having a good time, this was a waste of time. Well, I am. So but we're having you. a great time. Yeah. And as I said, you look great. You're a great date and I've had a great conversation. I'll thank go out you. with you again. Thank you. Oh, we're going to have you back on. <laughs> but if you, if you notice, Gladiator is a story about storytelling. Um Maximus is down and out, gets found by Proximo's gladiator slaves. He comes back and he's just hes just in a grumpy guy. He's mm. a grumpy. He just wants to kill people. Mm. Let's be honest. He goes, he's forced to be a gladiator. He just kills people. He's the best fighter in the whole land. Mm. And Proximo tells him the following in, in, before one of the fights. He says, the people don't want a butcher. They want a hero. Now, every single SME, listen to me. This is one of the biggest messages that I espouse. People want a hero. They don't want a butcher. Now, yes. the butcher is the skills that you have, the product that you're selling. Whatever it is you're giving people, that's the butcher. That's not the hero. Mm-hmm. Now, to win a fight, you've got to have the skills of a butcher or you won't win. But to have the to go and, and meet the emperor, what he wanted to do, he had to be the hero mm-hmm. and he had to entertain. He had to figure out how do I get the crowd to love me so I can keep on growing and growing and eventually get to the Colosseum and eventually get in front of the emperor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I mean, I go through different pieces of the the gladiator, but there's another part where Proximo is explaining how he got his freedom and he tells the story and you can see how Maximus goes from hating the guy to like, wow, I've just connected with you. I want to be that, what you just did. And it's because he he was the hero. He became the hero to Maximus. The symbol. The symbol that yes. it's you got to be able to tell a story. So, you know. When we were in San Francisco, we went to um, Stanford. We went to hear a talk by someone called Josh Hoffman. Anyone that's seen any of my videos would have heard me talk about this, but he's raised over $100 million in Silicon Valley for his biotech startup called Zimogen, massive company now. And he said, categorically, he said, people in the Valley often listen to more of what the story is compared to what the actual product is. Because Mm. if you can tell that story, if you can get it across, that develops belief in you. And when it comes to, you want to talk about business skills, this gladiator storytelling business skill is what I espouse as one of the biggest business skills required and underutilized. You've got to know how to capture the person that you're talking to so that they have a good time. 
If they have a good time, they want to talk to you. And more. human beings are evolved to remember stories is the yeah. difference. But back in the day, we didn't even know TVs, iPads and all this bullshit. We used to sit around campfires telling stories about, um, you know, giant snakes and and all sorts of gods coming from the skies and people would remember them and even the stories of religion, right? True. They're the best storytellers. The story. Yeah, of course, because they have to communicate examples. These are ways for people to remember. And the story of the gladiator of Maximus, that is so relevant now. Who isn't feeling a bit down and out on themselves at the moment? Yeah. And it's just a good metaphor for the world needing heroes right now. And it, even if you are down right now, you're not feeling good, right? Your, your, your business has taken a hit, suffered, you've lost it, whatever it may be, you can still be a hero, right? And when you're the hero, people follow you. People do, follow. do you know where superheroes came from? I don't know if you've seen no, them. No, I don't. So, but, but can I also ask you, you, you yeah. keep your videos. Where can people access these videos? So how right, can, how on can my, they... Either on my LinkedIn profile, you just scroll down my activity, or yep. if you go into our website, rimon.com.au, yep. we've got a vlog. Yeah, okay. I okay. speak about a whole bunch of different topics. And your LinkedIn profile is Lior, L-I-O-R, Stein, S-T-E-I-N? Yeah, Lior Stein. Yes. And uh, reach out to you guys or reach out. Amazing. You know, my email address is lior at rimon.com.au. Use if you want to just talk to me. I don't mind. Like people need others to talk to now. Yeah. I'll put a post on LinkedIn. Especially so. if you want to get some money back from some <laughs> innovative research and development you've recently. If you're done. doing anything innovative, you can get. We can try to get you some money back. Talk mm -hmm. to us. It's a real great avenue for cash. Mm -hmm. um, and so the superheroes, where superheroes came from. So you got it. So you know everyone's talking about survive and thrive. Mm -hmm. uh, I started that. I'm telling you, Cub oh, started you? that. Yeah, we yeah, started that. I saw that. you do it first and now I see it all over the show. No, yeah, I'm everyone is doing it. I told Ant, I called the lawyers, we should lock that stuff down because mm. we started saying survive then thrive. We started saying it to the members. Mm. We started saying to the members, guys, we're going to make sure you have the knowledge and the support needed to survive this crisis so that we can thrive after. We started hammering that on LinkedIn. Now the whole, everyone is doing, you know what else we, is the Cub message and that's been spreading everywhere. You'll see it everywhere now. Mm. Stronger together, stronger together, stronger yeah. together. Cub is the, I'm telling you, it, it is the start of a lot of, it, and, and that's just a great example of how one company can push out positivity mm. and be a hero and be that, be that light. Anyway, I wanted to make that clear for everyone. Okay, we well, started Survive Cub, and Thrive. Hashtag Cub, hashtag In fact, Survive Anthony Mullane, my, my business partner, started yeah, no, Survive and Thrive. Good guy. Yeah, he's a legend. So basically what happened was, so you had the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to come back to this Survive and Thrive, the Cub, Survive and Thrive. Thank you. Um, so thriving has many different definitions, but people are also talking about on the back end of this, there's going to be opportunity. I think you want to take advantage of opportunity. Okay, we're all going through a tough time now. Everybody, no one's immune from this thing. But while half your brain or three quarters of your brain is on the tough time, the other quarter's got to be on, well, what's next? Mm -hmm. And what next could be right now? So I'm going to use superheroes to explain that. Superheroes were born in the Great Depression. People were down and out. And on ah. top of that, you had immigrants that came. So there's actually two Jewish immigrants that went to South Africa and the guy created Superman and Batman. And why did they succeed? Because people try to do sort of superheroes before then they failed. Why? The world needed something to hold on to. And they held on to Superman and Batman, two very different superheroes. And then came Wonder Woman and then came Captain America. Yeah, and we all, this is a billion-dollar industry today, the superheroes. I love know. Marvel. Yeah, of course. Love, love, love. Um, Thor is basically my favorite <laughs> human being. Chris Hemsworth. So why don't you have that a hammer? That's next on your wall. Oh, yeah. Hammer. I'm going to give Chris a call. Be like, mm. mate, get on the podcast. But it's, 
in that lesson, right, people were down and out in the Great Depression. A billion dollar, huge, massive Marvel comics came out of the Great Depression. Those guys, I promise you, those two guys that started drawing, they were down and out. Mm. They were finished. Three quarters on how am I paying anything? One quarter on one eighth, whatever. And well, what can we do? And maybe they even did it, not even for money. They did it because people need something. I'm going to draw this character that's going to do this. And look mm. what came out of that. Now, we don't know what the world's going to look like on the other end. People are definitely going to be more open to um, teleconference instead of in-person meetings. You know, you know, I'm just thinking this now, but maybe this builds more trust with people because mm-hmm. before it was, I need to see you face-to-face to do business with you sometimes. I need to trust you. Well, now you can see, you, you can do a teleconference and have the same trust. Maybe it's going to build this level of trust in people. I don't think that's going to happen. I disagree with so? that. No, I don't. Yeah? I think that, I think that people have to survive. If they're going to survive and do business right now over the camera, then that's the way it has to be done because I need to survive. But I think we're evolved to see each other. We're evolved to touch, to, to shake hands, to have that connection. You're not connecting with someone the same way digitally as you will in person. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I think that um, there are going to be a lot of benefits. For example, people are going to be better at doing the digital stuff, mm. but I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to increase trust levels. Maybe not. Maybe people will be more okay with us working from home every now and then. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you're yeah, right. Well, that could happen. Or the opposite. Mm. Because it could be that no one works from home as well as they do from the office. Maybe. And I, I really do think that that's – I love the idea of working from the office. I, I, I mean, I understand there's some people who do need to work from home for family reasons. could be a mother or something like that. But why would you want to join a team and not be with the team? Mm. It makes no sense to me. I don't get it. Yeah, it, I, I hear that. I, I hear can't that understand it. I, I, I it, 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 don't get it. But um, um, what, what you're saying about the superheroes, yeah. Perhaps then it's a good time for a brand for, for for business owners to turn their brand into the hero or a hero. Perhaps it's a time if you can't sell as much as you want to spend time focusing on becoming a hero on making your brand a hero for whatever its message may be. Cubs is obviously stronger together, but different, different, yours may be to, to innovate, you know. My point is perhaps people could build some serious brand equity at the moment and that's what they should be focusing on. That's the opportunity they should be taking. Now we do have to wrap up soon, but before we do, um, sorry, we have to talk about two more things. I want to learn more about the R&D grants, how that works. But before we get into that, I want to know. Um, obviously, uh, I'm the. I come from a family of migrants. You're a migrant yourself. I read a book once that I can't remember what book it was, but I read a lot, and and it was it had something to do with a correlation between migrants, migration, and entrepreneurship, mm. and how migrants became more entrepreneurial. And and I can't remember the book, but it actually gave an example of um, the Jewish people in New York. And how they became the heads of the biggest law firms and things like that. It'll come to me. Um, but I was thinking about it. And why would migrants do do create business? And I think because they they move to a country, they don't necessarily fit in. They've got different names and they speak differently, and they may not even have the language. So they can't get a job. Mm. And so they're forced to create business. They have to hire themselves. They can't rely on others to hire them. Yeah. And 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 then they start working with each other and they start hiring people from their community. And I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think that's, that's definitely true. 
there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. I think I'm sure there's a number of reasons for becoming an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I'll share with you two catalysts that I think one is you have a passion and a dream. There's a great book called The Third Door about, well, this guy's actually the son of immigrants in America. It's quite recent. He was just recently Forbes 30 under 30, how he had a dream of just understanding what the greatest business minds in the world, why they did it. Mm -hmm. And he got access to all of them, but that's the passion side of thing. I don't know if so many people have that or not, but a passion will drive you to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. On the other end is just pure necessity. Yeah, neat. And that's the immigration. That's the migrant philosophy. I, I mean, I can just speak for myself. I moved here. Mm -hmm. This is an, an expensive place, brother. To live in this country, it's an amazing country, but it costs. Mm. Yeah? Um, especially if you need certain things, like I want my kids to get certain schooling, private schooling. This things cost. And you, I just turned around and I looked at my wife one day and I said, this doesn't work. What's coming in is less than what's going out. And this is not going to change fast enough. And you're a chartered accountant, so you figured that out pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take a chartered accountant to figure that out. But I said, this just doesn't really work. And I said, I've just got to figure this out. Anyway, then Gary, my co-MD, and I, we just decided let's just try to do something. And eventually it turned into the Ramon advisory we've got today with what we do, which you spoke a bit about. But there was just like <laughs> first survive and survive and thrive, like you mm. say. Either it was going to be pure survival or we were going to turn it into some sort of thriving. Now, I'm not saying you can't do well in jobs. Many people do very well in jobs. But yeah, I moved here at 29 and I just thought this isn't quick enough mm. with already having kids. and I want and more. It, it just, I want more control over it as well. I want to control what I have. I don't know if being an entrepreneur, I can tell you now, out of what's happened now, the owners have taken the biggest hit. Yeah, they, they're not in control. <laughs> no, I'm the one that's lost a whole bunch yeah. of my income, you know, because, because yeah, yeah. I mean, we've made a call that we are going to do anything in our power to not let go of anyone because of this crisis. Mm -hmm. Not that I've never let go of anyone before, as yeah. you've said before, sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do mm. if it's not working. But as a result of the crisis, we don't want to let go of anyone. So we are figuring out where we can find cash. Our income was the first place to go. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yes, in uptimes you're the you're the owner, but in downtimes or you're the leader, you take the hit first. Yes. Um, and you need to be seen. To, the leader should always take the hit first, and should take the biggest hit too. Yes, I agree with you. And can you tell me, um, because I'm just time weary, can you tell me? I I really want to just learn all your knowledge on these R and D grants. I want to know what it is, how much money the government allocates to it, why the government does it, and I want to know how I can do it myself. Or so, so okay. others could understand it. Look, the government at the moment is putting in $2 billion a year into the R&D tax incentive. That's pretty good of them, isn't it? It's, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's up and down how much they put in, but it's always in the billions. It's, um, and as I said, if you're a tech company who's developing and making losses, that's when it's the key to using it. You could get back 43.5% on your dev. Uh, there's a cap, but you're talking about hundreds of millions. So how, so how does it work? So let's say I'm, I'm Cub now. We, we just spent a couple hundred grand on um, a piece of technology that we're releasing to the members. It's going to revolutionize the way Australian entrepreneurs connect. Does, are we eligible to apply for an R&D grant? So let's say there's an established company. It's running like a typical member. They've, they've got um, a good, healthy, fast-growing company, uh, and they're spending money on an innovation or research and development. How do you, how, 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 is that relevant to me, the R&D grant? 
So we'd have to go into the detail of the innovation, which I don't know if we're going to do now. Mm -hmm. But in very short, if software is an interesting area, which it has to be assessed, but a lot of software has R&D in it. Mm -hmm. So yes, if you spend all this money on creating this innovative software, your benefit, if you built it last financial year, is 43.5%. Going forward, it's whatever your tax rate is, plus 13.5%, which for most SMEs is a 41% benefit. Mm -hmm. So does that mean you get given back 41% of the money or 41% is not tax is is not taxed? So it's yes to both. Okay. If a company is in a profit, okay, so let's just take 100 grand as an example. You spent 100 grand on innovation, you're going to deduct that 100 grand in your tax return. Without knowing about the R&D, you are going to save 27.5%. Jeez. 27.5%. That's the company that's tax just deduction. 20, yeah. With the R&D, you're going to save 41%. On top or no, as a no, total? No, as a total. Yep. So another 13.5%. Yep. So if you're profitable, you're going to save on 100 grand a new $13,500 in tax. So that's cash in your bank account. You're mm -hmm. paying less tax. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 200, 300, the more you spend, that's a percentage. Yep. If a company's in losses, you get the full percentage back in cash. So if you spend the money in last financial year, so you've spent 100 grand last financial year, you get 43.5% back in cash, $43,500. Cash in the bank. And so that's why that's how they're supporting the startups more. Startups actually get in cash. Yes, startups, a lot, a lot of startups are making innovative technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I, I've got so many stories. I'll just tell you a recent story. So this guy used to be a client of ours years ago. He's been in San Francisco working all over the shop. Smart, smart guy working at Google. He's done his own startup, Australian developers. He phoned me and said, I, I know we worked together years ago, but remind me, like I'm – I need to raise capital now. It's very hard. I don't know if I can keep the startup going. I've spent X million dollars. So to forget about raising capital. We're going to get you in the high ends of the hundred thousands of dollars. You are eligible for this. He looked at me and goes, are you real? I said, yeah, this is for real. You, what you're doing is R&D. We're going to get you somewhere between 700 to $900,000 back on your so R&D. So instead of giving away equity, you can keep your company and you still get the money. He said to me, that gives me, I, can't, I think he said a year and a half's runway. Wow. Right, He said, I'm going to cut down somewhat, so I'm going to spend somewhat less. But if I cut down somewhat, I've got a year and a half runway, I'm going to get through the crisis. Wow. And but, that's the most important thing, that businesses survive this crisis. Yeah, so the government has this mechanism for innovative companies to get through the crisis. You know, and also innovative companies, they don't really want to stop innovating because that's your business. So he's, he's toning down some areas, but he's carrying on and talk about hashtag cub, hashtag survive and thrive. Mm. Some of the companies that are going to thrive are the ones that you can just get through this and be ready to take off as it ends. Instead of having to refigure yourself out, you made it through, although you're not as hot as you were before, but you made it. And now up you go. That's also a key. So on the one hand, I mentioned you've got to think of opportunities that might come up. On the other hand, if you make it through, you're already ahead of a lot of people and then up you go because you're still there. And he's going to have the cash now to get there. Anyone that's doing anything innovative, if you think you are, you should be finding out. And how do you know if it's R&D? So how, what is uh, research and development? How do I know, okay, I'm doing research and development. The government's going to Okay, me. so I mean, I, I, at one of the Cub networking events, I was just chatting to somebody. Mm -hmm. He started telling me what he was doing. We're getting him some money back now. Really? Yeah, he didn't know about it. Oh, I'm going to give that guy. You've got to tell me who it is after this so I can call him. Like, hey, mate, you locked into a renewal for the next five years. Huh? <laughs> you go talk to him. Uh, I told Kelvin about him too. Yeah, Don't worry good, about good, it. Mate. Um, but essentially... The three, the three pieces to the definition of R&D, one is new knowledge. That's more commercial, but you saw a gap in the market, right? Um, whatever that gap in the market is, for Cupboard was we feel that entrepreneurs don't have a portal to connect well. They don't have a place to go to really connect and build a family. 100%.
Okay, so that's a commercial gap, right? But after the commercial gap, now you got to start creating something. So I'll just be silly. We feel like elephants' feet are too soft for the ground. It's uncomfortable for them. Okay, we think there's an opportunity. And I used a silly example on purpose. Just to, So we're going to go and create these shoes to go on elephants' feet. So now you start trying to make this thing, and there's a process of trial and error, and it's very hard because it, if it's heavy and the thing breaks, but you need technology in it. And how do you make it? And you keep on trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. It's called experimentation, right? The final piece is uncertainty. You're not exactly sure that it's going to come out how you want or if it's even going to come out. And that's what research and development is. You're not These sure. These three things. So you need the new knowledge, the idea. You're making something, and you're not exactly sure, right? So now with the elephant example, like you just you can't make shoes for elephants. Yeah, but you know what's weird? Oh, sorry, you keep going. But in that case, even if you didn't succeed in it, it doesn't matter. You innovated. You can get your money back on that. Wow. Yeah. You know what's real weird? Why do horse have shoes? <laughs> you know, think about it. Why do they fucking have shoes? They evolved to run anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We have to look into it. Yeah, I've got to get a farmer or something. <laughs> Good question. Yeah, it makes no sense. My dog hasn't got shoes. Mm. Why does the horse have shoes? I'm not going to pretend to know. Yeah, I'm going to look that up after. No, but what I like about that is the horseshoe is a shoe also for a unicorn, and we're talking about tech companies. Yeah, there you go. There Let's go. end with a bang like that. <laughs> awesome, Leo. Thank you so much. Um, to our incredible listeners, um, um, if you're on the entrepreneurial journey and you think you're doing, um, uh, even if you just think that you're involved in some sort of R and D research and development and you might be eligible, now is a great time uh, to reach out to somebody to find out if you are eligible for, for a rebate because um, like Leo said, uh, that could be the difference between uh, helping you get through this crisis out the other side and if not, it's just a benefit anyway. Um, Leo, thank you so much for coming on and, and um, your knowledge and, and sharing your story and your knowledge has been incredibly beneficial to me and our listeners. We're stronger together than we are apart, and that's exactly why we're doing this thing. So thank you very much, sir. Peace. Peace. Love you all. <laughs> See you later. See you guys. Bye.